Silas is going to do our scripture reading for us this morning. John chapter 9, verse 1 to 5. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Silas. Appreciate that very, very much. I love seeing our young men get up here and read the verse, verses, read the Bible out loud. I appreciate that very much. And hello to uh, all of our folks in the uh, Fellowship Center. Y'all uh, wave. Give me a wave. I can see you over here on one of these. There you go. Thank you for being here. Uh, our both us, we got this assembly, our Fellowship Center assembly. We've got our live stream assembly. And then Phil's preaching to a whole other assembly over in Monroe. So, uh, uh, you know, it's just a lot of exciting things going on in the uh, kingdom of God. Even though we have... Uh, pandemics and we have unrest. Uh, I love what I heard one man say, though they were turning their riots into revivals. And uh, there were thousands of people that met up in Portland for a huge worship thing outside uh, this last weekend. And, uh, you know, it's amazing. I didn't find that on major news networks, but one, one place I found it. Isn't that amazing? They all carry the riots, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking for somebody to carry the revival stuff. So there's some good things happening. Uh, Rochelle from Oregon is with us. Jody from Texas. Uh, uh, glad you guys are here. Stacy from Rhode Island. Wow. And Vern and Kathy from Alaska. And Angelica from Modesta, California. We've got folks from everywhere. Thank you so much for being with us today. You are a part of our forever family. You know, uh, when we started this study in the book of John, one of the things we wanted to remind everybody was that there's a purpose to this book being written. And the book tells you its own purpose in John 20, verse 30 and 31. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written. Okay, got it? So not John 9 is written. This event is written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. In this book, in this book of John. We see evidence, then we see belief, and then we see life. You go back and you look through all the stories of the, of the things that happened uh, with the Samaritan woman, with the healings that take place. The fe- you see evidence of who he is. You see belief and faith develop, and you see life. Just keep those three things in mind as you read the whole book. You're going to grab a lot of good stuff out of that. Well, in this uh, situation here is a man that's born blind. I want to just kind of break down the, the, the section here a little bit, verse by verse. Now, Alan is going to speak on the rest of the chapter. There's, there's a whole bunch more than what I'm going to talk today on. He's going to take care of that next week. And so anything I mess up, he'll have opportunity to fix. And he's always willing to do that, by the way. Uh, so uh, uh, John chapter 9, the Bible says, as, as he went along, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Uh, now, first thing I want to do is just talk about the condition or the situation of the man. 
Now, he's blind from birth. He's helpless. He's hopeless. And he feels in despair. Now, not only is he now a grown man and blind, but now he has uh, done the only basic thing that people with those kinds of disabilities could do. He's also, verse 8 tells us, a beggar. In other words, he's totally dependent upon the compassion and the benevolence of other people. But there's something also this verse tells us in verse 1 that he's seen by Jesus. He wasn't overlooked. You know, we, you walk by people, you see situations, you don't know what to do with them. Sometimes we just kind of pretend they're not there. If I can get by quick enough, I don't have to deal with it. But Jesus, as he walks by people, he sees everybody in their situation and has something to offer to them. So Jesus sees this man as more than just a beggar, more than just his physical disability that, he, that he's had since he was born. He pays attention, Jesus does, to people that sometimes we don't pay attention to. Jesus desires to help those in in the world that the world doesn't care about. Remember when he healed the man with leprosy? And the Bible says he reached out and touched him. How long do you think it had been since a man with leprosy had been touched physically? Matter of fact, just think how it was for you when you came out of the... Uh, of, of isolation and quarantine. And some of you may not be this confident yet, but when you, you, when you're with someone you could be confident with and physically give them a hug again. Wasn't that good? Jesus sees the need for this guy. I guess the first thing I just would like to try to get in my own mind is I would like to be able to see people the way Jesus sees people. And I don't always do that. You know, uh, uh, I'm pulling up to an intersection and there's somebody out there begging and I've already got it in my mind why they got a whole scheme and getting my money and everything else, right? And so I don't help them. Now, now some of them I've helped so much that I know them by name and I holler at them and say, hey, get back out there and get in church. I mean, I, I, I literally do because uh, we've converted some of them, uh, and we, just, well, we ain't discipled them far enough yet. Uh, but, uh, uh, but I, I, but I don't want to just, Blindly, if you will, walk by people's situation and not see them. I want to see them the way Jesus sees them. And I think that's always a challenge to us. The blind man's condition, as far as he thought, hopeless, in despair. Verse 2, I want you to see the disciples' question. This is interesting to me. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, whose fault is it? You ever get those people that the first, their first question out of their mouth is, who's to blame? We've got to blame somebody. Let's find out who it is, you know? Now, kind of growing up, I was kind of uh, that way. My, my dad was a little bit that way in that you, before you could help, he had to assess blame. I remember one time my brother came in, he'd stepped on a nail, went clear through his shoe and into, into his foot. Actually, I'm not sure he even had a shoe on. But anyway, I just remember him coming in. He's hurting, he's bleeding, he's got a nail on his foot. And my dad's like, why would a man go out there stepping around when you know there's nails there? Now, why would you do that? You, no, okay, Dad, we got it. I'm sorry. I, you know, It's my fault. Can we take care of the hole in my foot, you know? Why is it sometimes we have to assess blame? 
before we offer help. I noticed Jesus didn't make that move here. Now, they had this idea by the very question. Look, by the way, bad theology makes you ask the wrong question. What was their theology? When they asked, who sinned, the guy or his dad or his mom? What's that tell you? That tells you their theology. And it was a very common one that, that suffering happened as a result of a personal sin. Now look, suffering is connected to sin because we live in a broken world. Genesis 3, when the, the fall of man took place, all of a sudden there's weeds growing up, there's thorns growing up, uh, there's, uh, there's disease that happens, there's death. That, so suffering is connected to the broken world which we live. But what they took it to the extremes, they attached it, a personal thing of guilt, to whatever someone had in terms of a disability or a suffering. This suffering takes place because I did something terrible. In other words, God's punishing me by this. That's not how it works. I'll tell you what, though, it's amazing how starting with bad theology, looking at someone's needs, makes you miss helping them. Let me show you how this works. In Matthew chapter 12, the disciples and Jesus were standing there, and they were in this conversation with the Pharisees. You might remember they're arguing about the Sabbath and whether David could eat the showbread and this kind of thing. And Jesus makes this statement after he'd already reminded them three times, if you'd known what this verse means, if you'd known what this verse means. And finally, he says, if you'd understood what this verse says, and then here's what he says. Verse 7 of Matthew 12. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. If you had understood, if you had interpreted these scriptures right, if you had understood what they said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, then you wouldn't have condemned innocent people. You see, bad interpretation ends up becoming a legalistic thing many times that condemns innocent people. I did that when I was younger. I had the right answers, and if you didn't agree with me, then you were lost. You were either in or out. It was black or white. I didn't understand God's desire for mercy. And somehow or another, I thought if you practice all the religious, we would sacrifice maybe sacraments or whatever the right way, that equal being right. That's not how it works. I misunderstood the Word of God, and as a result of my bad theology, I condemned innocent people. Now, another great day in my life, though, was when I also understood about the grace of God that grace not only covers my bad behavior, but it covers my bad theology. That was a good day. Right? And I need to learn to desire mercy the way God desires mercy. See, the Jews actually even had another belief. They actually believed that a infant or a baby still in the womb could commit sin. Some of you want to do a little Jewish history stuff on that belief. You can dig up some more about that. They actually believed they could sin in the womb. So now you know why these Pharisees later on, when they're arguing with this guy, they say, you were steeped in sin from birth. 
Now you know why they say that. You see, their questions, the disciples' questions, are going to get answered by Jesus. But it doesn't go into a huge, big, long theological answer. Here's what he tells them. Look what this is. Verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life as long as it is day. We must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Now back to chapter 8. Chapter 8, he says, I'm the light of the world. And he explains it and teaches them all on it. That's your in-depth teaching there, that whole chapter. Now chapter 9, he repeats the claim, but he shows it in his practice. Remember John 1? He came full of grace and truth. And now he's going to show grace and truth and all these things that he does to give evidence of who he is and how he treats us with his love and with his grace. See, this was the purpose for the purpose of displaying, putting on display the work of God in his life. What is the work of God? John six twenty nine. Jesus already said the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And Jesus once again shows evidence of who he is as God. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus claims to be God. Look what he says. You remember Luke 4, he's in there fixing to teach some people in the synagogue. And he takes a big old scroll. Out, and, they give, and, he, and he unrolls that thing out to Isaiah. And he reaches down and he reads, looks down and reads, and says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I'm God in the flesh. That's what he says. Look at, look at, the, look at the Old Testament prophecies. Today I'm fulfilling that. And I'm showing evidence by this healing of the blind that I am who I claim I am. Look at the prophets. Look at your own teachers. It was said a long time ago. This is the work of God. And this is the work of God's Son. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. He says that this work is urgent. When things get really urgent in our lives, we tend to simplify and focus more, which is a good thing. You start getting rid of all the things you don't really have to do or have, I mean, all of a sudden, boom, it's urgent, right? I mean, your house could be in a total mess. A bunch of stuff happening, you're not ready to go anywhere or do anything, but somebody gives you a call and says, hey, 
Look, I don't know if you know it, but you were the third caller today on the radio station. And guess what? You've just won a total expense paid trip to Hawaii, but it leaves in three hours. Can you be ready? How many is ready? Yeah, Dave's like he's ready right now because he, he's got a trip planned to Hawaii. Ask him about that one. How I many you can get ready? All of a sudden, all this stuff, you figure out a way to get everything done. And you get urgent and you do what you have to do to get ready to go. Jesus says, I'm displaying the work of God here. And we've got, and look, by the way, look what he says here in this verse. He says, as long as it is day, he doesn't say I, he says, we must do the work of him who sent me. It's our work. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus said this thing is urgent, the work of God is. And this work is causing people, showing evidence to cause people to believe so they can have life. Evidence, belief, life. We preach the gospel, the story of the death, burial, and resurrection. We show how God raised Jesus from the dead. The evidence of who he is and who he claimed to be. People, it touches people's heart. They believe in that and they find life. Evidence, belief, life. Look not only at his words but, and work, but look, look at this action that takes place. Verse 6, having said this, he spit. He just... Don't worry, I didn't. Actually, nothing came out there. In case you're worried. I, the three, four, three poor people right now are worried. He spit on the carpet in the church. It's okay. I've seen worse things on the carpet in this church. So, <laughs> Having said this, he spit on the ground. He made some mud with the saliva. And he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Wow, what a day for that guy. Is this really anything that we should be surprised by? If he's God in the flesh and the prophecies are that he'll heal the blind, he's the creator of the universe. He's the one, by the way, that picked up dust and shaped it and formed it and made it into man. Now he just spits on that same dust, gathers it up, puts it on. I, any reason why I couldn't believe that the one that could make man out of dust could not make a man see? But you know what? If the guy doesn't believe and take action on what he says, nothing happens. The creator who made man out of dust spits and takes dust once again and heals a man born blind. The man then obeyed the words of Jesus and he's washed and he's healed. And the work of God is displayed and the word of God is obeyed. All in a just the very beginning of this whole story. You're going to see a whole lot more. Next week when Al preaches about this man and his family and his church and so many other things that go along with people who could not figure out who this Jesus was. He's proven time and time again 
that he is the Son of God. You see, some are blinded, at least temporarily, by bad theology like the disciples. I've been blinded by that. Some are blinded by religious pride. You're not going to pry me out of this church or out of this pew or out of this spot. No matter what I teach. No matter what you learn. Some people can't learn something different out of the Bible because it might rub against the grain of something that they always believed that they just had never really sat down and looked. I beg you, be open to God's Word. Do not get so stuck in your religious tradition or the things that have been passed down to you. Be, appreciate everything that's good and true, but prove it out of the book. Prove it out of the Word of God. And if it's in the Word of God, hang on to it. If it's not, then you go find out what is and hang on to that. I was raised in a group and a movement that came out of the Restoration Movement that said, whatever we find in the Bible, that's what we were going to believe. Somebody convinced me of that one time. And so I believe it. And so when I restudy things, if I find something new, I'm going to dig in there. We need to be people who are willing to grow and willing to learn the Word of God. We don't have all the answers. I have a sign right before you go into my office to remind me. It simply says, I am still learning. And I am. I don't have all the answers. I do have the answer to our sin problem. Because understanding the gospel is simple. But there's a whole lot of more things out of this book that I'm learning. Some are blinded by bad theology, by religious pride. Some are blinded by ignorance, just haven't learned yet. Some are blinded by sin and selfishness because they don't want to give up in their life what they like and go for what God likes. I want to, I want to ask the worship team to come back up. As we kind of wrap this up today, I, I want us just to think through a couple of things. We're going to have an invitation here in just a moment. And in our, in our fellowship center, there's going to be some people down front to pray with you. And, and here there will be folks here to, to, uh, uh, to, to pray with you. Or to, if you need to respond for baptism, that opportunity is going to happen. But I want to ask us, is there anything that's been blinding you? And if so, are you willing to open your eyes, let God open your eyes, and understand that you can be used, when you come believe in His work and word, you can be used to display the work and glory of God. If we put your life story up on the screen, just called out your name and said, here's what their life is all about. Would you feel good about that? I don't, I don't want you to put mine up. There's stuff in there. Man, I, don't, I, I, don't, I wish I'd never done it. I don't want anybody to know about it. Right? But you see, when God looks at us, he looks at us through the blood of Christ. So if you've been blinded by sin or Satan, you can get rid of that burden. And God will look at you through the blood of Jesus, totally forgiven. You can start all over brand new in Christ. You can be washed 
and healed today from the sin that blinds you and burdens you. Just, just like the blind man was healed. Washed and healed. And developed a belief and faith in Jesus. So really, that really becomes our challenge today. Look, this book right here, it's living and it's active and it has the answers to the problems in your life. This book shows me who Jesus is and how to live like him. In the simplest form, Christianity is me becoming more like Jesus every day. Till one day when he comes again and our bodies are raised out of the ground, we will be like Jesus and our bodies will be like him. That'll be a great day. But between now and then, we're going to keep preaching the good news to take as many people with us to, to meet Jesus when he comes. I don't want to see one person walk out of this room Walk out of the fellowship center. Walk out of any assembly we have. I don't want one person to go away from hearing this message and not know 100% they are right with God. That's a great verse, 1 John 5, 13. These things are written that I may know that I have eternal life. I don't know it because of my efforts. I don't know it because of my works. I know it because of the work and effort of God through Jesus on the cross. So if you need to be baptized today, you're going to have that opportunity. If you need prayers, that opportunity is here too. Let's take advantage of that opportunity while we stand and while we sing.